What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let us know what you think about the episode. If there's any questions or guests you'd like to have covered, let us know. We love to see your feedback on there and then get them on the future episodes. Today, I'm going to be joined by Chris from Unrivaled Diesel. I wanted to talk with him about race season, why he has so many 5.9 Cummins trucks, and maybe some plans for 2024. So I'm definitely looking forward to chatting with him. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you guys, our friends over at Kershaw Knives, have a 20% off site wide code for you. Use code diesel2023 at kershaw.kaiusa.com. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear on a knife for EDC, hunting, fishing, something around the job site, around the house. I've got a ton of choices for you there. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Chris from Unrivaled Diesel and talking about Cummins performance, racing, why he has so many five nines, and then also some products that he really likes in the shop. Chris, welcome back to these podcasts. Look forward to chat with you today. Last time we talked, we were talking about your race truck going over 3,100 horsepower and what that was like and, and in the middle of the race season. And I've seen, I've seen you on Facebook and Instagram posts and videos of you this year. And I really wanted to get caught up on what's transpired from that podcast before to now I saw you at Bandemir, which that track's closing and it's local to me. So I have a connection to it and I saw you out there racing. So what, uh, what's been new? Man, just uh, trying to keep all these trucks in Texas running, and we stay busy doing it and making all the events we can make. We've done a lot of really cool stuff here lately with BD Diesel. We went to race week. I had a clapped out 06 2500 coming. We threw a 12 mil on it, a 476, some 250%, and a full manual, and uh, went on race week. We didn't really run as fast as I wanted. I was hoping to do 670s, but we did 7.1 to 7.0s pretty, pretty consistent. And we finished race week with it, and that was a whole lot of fun. The whole drag and drive aspect is, is way different than a three-day multi-part sled pull street drive, you know, dirt drag, drag race, dyno type challenge. The aspect of loading all your stuff in the back of your truck and driving it to five different racetracks across five days and 1,500 miles, that changes things a little bit. Yeah. So we did that, and uh, right now we're getting ready to leave for the all-truck challenge or king of the street um, in Maryland. We're leaving tomorrow morning about 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, very cool. How's the, the, truck, the truck all ready to go, or you got some things to finish up on it before you head up there? Well, I just saw UPS walk in, so that means we're going to finish up on today's special orders. Um, yeah, we're pretty we're pretty good. We're in a good situation. We have a good, strong running truck, and we've optimized the most that we can. So we're to the position to wrap up a few loose ends and load it up and hit the road. I saw the one I think I saw at Bandimer was a red truck, and I remember the green one, the dually. That's right. So what, uh, tell me about the two different trucks. <laughs> Well, I kind of have a truck buying problem. I've got like three or four of these stupid Dodge diesels. And I have a red 06 quad cab short bed. I have a black 06 mega cab. And then I have the green Dooley 07. Um, kind of just a, a little different level for every requirement. 3,400 horsepower is not relatable to the normal people. So you have a client that comes in and wants 750 or 800 horsepower. Well, I have just the truck to go let you drive. And if you want 14 or 1500 horsepower, I have the right truck for you to drive also. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, a showing what you can do and showcasing what products, uh, work and, you know, multi-purpose vehicles. Cause who doesn't want, uh, you know, 12 or 1300 horsepower daily driver. 
it's a really, a couple. It's a really interesting point that you mentioned. One I've thought about a lot is you know, if I think back, say, 15 years or plus, almost all diesel trucks and racing was relatable because the power levels at that time, if you could get 600 horsepower, 650, 700, <clears throat> for the longest time, 1,000 was this huge number to hit. It was relatable to all of us. And then there was this tremendous advancement with technology, with engine building, turbos, tuning, and then it was 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 plus. I wanted to ask you more about relating it to people. What are you finding okay. is, is a power number that a lot of people, when they come into your shop or call you, <laughs> that they can relate to? Oh, yeah. Well, they all want a thousand horsepower or more, but my go-to is like 800 horsepower. There is something about an 800 horsepower truck that is way more fun than these big high powered four digit trucks. You can drive it to work every day and just hold it to the wood all the time. Never break 11, 12, 1300 degree EGT, have a clean tailpipe. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the 850 horsepower daily driver. We do that. I think the, um, us the, well, the usable side of it is what really, really appeals because I've, I've been around some trucks that make, you know, good power numbers over a thousand, fifteen hundred, and they're, they're awesome. But I think I can't really use this on the street or it's just, it's a bit too much. And I want to enjoy the turbo I bought, the injectors, the tuning, the transmission, the traction bars, all the things that I put on oh, yeah. it. I want to be oh, able yeah. to enjoy it. So it's, uh, it's something that's really sort of fascinated me or something I like to focus on is how you can have that fun and you don't necessarily need to get 2000 horsepower to do it. You can have a lot of fun all the time at mm -hmm. these levels that are attainable that you can still have, you know, a daily driver and, and, uh, be able to take on a road trip. I mean, the older I get, the more I don't want to work on these trucks. <laughs> and so I find that if you just sacrifice a little power and you pick a number that's reasonable and strong, that's a fun truck to drive every day. There's nothing wrong with 800, a thousand horsepower every day and then making it live where yeah. you don't have to work on it. You don't have to be a shop owner. That's the big one because it's expensive. It's very expensive owning all these trucks, the parts, the cost, the maintenance. It's a lot, but man, is it fun whenever you get to whack something that, that's fast. And You know, we're not supposed to be fast, but we are. So it's, it's a, a nice change. I might be a little older than you cause I get excited if it just starts every day and warms up and I get point A to point B. It's really interesting to think about that cycle. Like when I was younger, I didn't care how loud it was, how it rode, how the steering was. As long as I could go on the yeah. dyno, make a certain number, go to the track, do this. That was all I cared about. And then it slowly kind of transitioned a little bit to, I just feel old cause I think of my dad's like, why are you doing that? Why are you putting that turbo on? Why do you need to tune? It's got plenty of power as it is. I'm like, oh man, I'm coming up on that that kind of time frame. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that happens, but you know now you're you're big and famous, so you just pay somebody to do it for you, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. What uh, what are some goals you have um, coming up at the uh, the All Truck Challenge? Are, are there any in particular that, that you really want to hit, or what would you say would make it a, a success in your eyes? That's a lot of questions. The first question, what goals do I want to hit? I want that first place. I want that big, tall trophy with that number one on it. I've been, I've been chasing that for a long time. So that's my big goal. Um, anything else is just – 
making do with what you have to work with. There are situations in every race where you are faced with a set of choices or decisions you have to make as far as finishing or placement or how much do you uh, stretch it out or how much do you risk it for the biscuit, you know? So risky is fun and all, but you have to be able to finish. And this is like a big chess match. Um, I think uh, sled pulls last. So that means the dyno can't be a blow it up situation. There are situations like that you have to you have to look at whenever you're in the event. But always the number one goal is to always finish the best you can with what you have. And then hold your head high with whatever the results may be. Whether you're satisfied or not, that's a really tough answer. That I mean that that question right there is really tough for me to answer. But um finishing and finishing with your team and your head held high is the most important. I think you'd mentioned that on the last podcast. I'd asked you something similar as far as motivation or powering through challenges. And I, I think back to if you're ever satisfied, what's the motivation to continue to build or innovate or network with companies, talk with different places, go practice, do all those things. You yeah. can't quite get completely happy with where things are. That's true. You know, motivation, there's two types of motivation. There's motivation to get first place and determine to see the end. And there's motivation by all the haters. So, you know, whatever it may be, as long as you push forward to the to the end is what, what counts. You have to be at the track to finish, right? So yeah. you have to make every effort to be there for every segment, each each leg, dirt drag, street drive, drag race, sled pull, dyno, they all have value and importance. So it's kind of like a chess match. I was thinking back to the trucks you listed off, and this just popped into my head. That's what I love about doing podcasts is I, I don't script them, so they're just kind of random. But all the trucks you mentioned were 06, 07s. Is that for a reason, or do you ever look to the 03, 05s? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's for a reason, man. The 06, 07s, they're like the diesel version of a, of a Fox body Mustang at the drag strip on a Friday night. You know, you, you can take a Fox body and put any sort of engine in it, if it makes a thousand horsepower, it's going to be fast. And that's kind of where the 0607 Dodge Cummins platform is. They have the 849 ECM, which is what I run on all the trucks. And that obviously can make power and go down the track quickly. And then they make all the parts that fit, like radiators, intercoolers, I mean, front drive line. You can go to anywhere, any track, any state, and probably find parts to fix your, your truck to get it down the road. But truly, it's the 0607 EFI life. That's where it's at. And uh, that's why I'll monitor that because I wouldn't want to have to wait to flash in a tune and wait 30 seconds for shift on the fly. Whenever you're spooling up on the freeway beside somebody, you need to turn that switch right there. If your tune isn't enough, it has to change instantly or else you're just going to lose. So if you're going to start shopping, shop for the best that you can get. Why settle for anything less? That makes a lot of sense. I think that gives it it's always sort of given it the edge with the tuning side, especially as the parts with turbo and injectors and engine parts and <clears throat> different, different things that, you know, we do to add power that freedom with the tuning side, I think made that mm -hmm. kind of the Holy grail of the O three O seven. So that was it. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're like the most unlocked and easily manipulated Dodge diesel out there. So it's, it's kind of like, well, why not? What else can you take and drive down the freeway for 400 miles and get, you know, let's just say 18 to 22 miles to the gallon, go to the drag strip, unload the radials, make a pass, 
and then drive another however many hundred miles. Okay, let's take that a step further and then hook it to a sled or go put it in the dirt drag or go make a thousand, two or three horsepower, however much you want. It, it's just amazing. Gasoline cars, vehicles aren't really used to that. They don't have three day long segments of competition. They might have drag and drive, which is fun, and you drive racetrack to racetrack, but they're not dynoing it at the track or they're not going to hook it to a 30,000 pound sled and then go back on the street. So the versatility of the diesel is amazing. And then I just, I'm, I'm a Cummins guy and it sucks that it comes with a Dodge, but it is what it is. It keeps me busy. And, uh, I, I like, I like the third gen. So yeah, it was a real easy choice. It's still tough to beat. It's, it's still, <clears throat> and there's so many people that listeners I, I chat with where, they have new ones and they they sell them and they start looking back to that year range of truck and they want it maybe not necessarily because they're building a race truck but they want the simplicity they want the aftermarket like the aftermarket's not slowing down with these trucks it's grown a ton since they were even new it's not stopping and there's so much that you can you can do with them what what are some things that people who come into your shop ask for with those trucks like maybe not necessarily on the race side but maybe for towing, for reliability. You'd mentioned it comes in a Dodge and it keeps there you busy. You what, there you what, go. what are those things? I'm glad that you said towing because that's one of the biggest uh, things I get approached with is a guy comes in with, let's just say a 07 3500 Laramie and it needs an engine. It spun a bearing, it broke a piston, whatever. And this truck might have 280,000 miles on it. He loves his truck, but it's only worth 5,000 with a blown up motor. So, he, he wants to take this truck and make it the best he can. And then he went new truck shopping and that was 80 or $90,000. So we come up with a budget of like 35 or 40 grand and put a brand new motor in it with head studs, O-ring, 85 horse flux injectors, a tater built towing turbo EFI. And then we put a built trainee in it, reseal and rebuild the transfer case, put new drive lines in it, you know, a, an aluminum uh, radiator and a big Mishimoto training cooler and a badass badass well-rounded truck and you give it back to the dude and they love it because it makes 550 600 horse it tows everywhere and they got their truck back for half of the cost of a new truck now i mean you are driving a third gen dodge so you got to keep that in mind but you don't have all the problems that the new truck has i remember at the time it's just this reminded me of so much so many things when i when those trucks were new is people would always say well the duramax is so much nicer the ford i mean their interiors went up a ton like in 08 when when the 64 came out <clears throat> and they would always kind of rag on the third gen dodge but i found people are willing to trade that that interior for the reliability and the fuel economy that you can get and how supported they are in the aftermarket on those daily driving towing applications to where when it comes down to that ninety thousand, hundred thousand, hundred and ten thousand dollar truck versus this one that you might, you know, who knows how much you're into it, but it's not that much. Right. It's an, easy, fi- yeah. it's an easy financial decision to make. It is. You just you don't get those creature comforts that yeah. come with modern technology. And I love new trucks. I love the interior. I love the lane assist, the adaptive cruise controls, great towing. But Man, number one's that payment. Number two is all the broken stuff that goes with it. It's just so much. And um, I like having all my titles. So all my vehicles are mine. And uh, that, that's kind of cool. So I can have like four or five of these trucks. And 
I would rather have that than one fifth gen. <laughs> They're getting tougher to find. I, th I think from like, if you're looking for a lower mileage, not used heavily kind of truck and you almost want that time capsule truck, they're out there. I do see them. And yeah. I know a lot of times I'll see like for sale ads and people are like, Oh, it's too expensive. It costs too much. And I'm like, even if he's asking 30 to 40,000, it's better than the $70,000 vinyl floor entry level, you know, 2023 or 2024 truck that's out there. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's very true. I just think like where, where might a fifth gen be? in 15 years how much of that truck is still going to be holding on and living um compared to the third gens and then where are all these parts going to become available like uh cooled seat modules or headlights that have motors that turn the bulbs like that's all pretty pretty high-end expensive stuff and it's not going to be around forever i can go for my third gens i can get hundred dollar ebay headlights the next day or amazon headlights the next day and then I'm back. Yeah, they fade out, but I'm back and I'm good again. So that's easy enough for me. I mean, it's not the best lighting in the world, but a pair of Morimoto's would be cool. It's just reminded me of the uh, <laughs> of the argument the 12-valve 12 guy, 12 guys used to make when the common rail stuff was out. And they'd say, that's too complex. I'm going to stick with my mechanical oh, yeah. P-pump yeah, truck. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to full circle. <laughs> it's going to come full circle. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before the podcast, and this is something that I think it's overlooked a ton when we're talking about truck modifications. Um, you'd mentioned BD track bars and traction bars in general, and how as you up the power on these trucks, even to that 550, 600 horse mark, you start to get that axle wrap and some of the carnage, the carnage that can take place with transfer case, a transmission case, drive shafts, U-joints. How crucial are traction bars to think about if you're doing one of these builds or thinking about adding power to, to one of these trucks? I pretty much go for the traction bar thing as soon as the budget allows. After your lift pump and your head stud and your tune and et cetera, et cetera, you know, budget is a big deal. But every truck needs a pair of traction bars. If it's got leaf springs, it needs some way to control the torque. It's amazing how many U-joints will break and overdrive housings, transfer cases, whatever. That's a bad deal. And for like 1200 bucks, you can get a pair of traction bars installed, powder-coated, whatever, that look good and you don't got to mess with. There's no adjustments. There's not a lot of noise. So it is definitely a go-to. Every one of my vehicles has a pair, except for the green truck. It's four-link, so obviously you don't have traction bars on four-link trucks. So it's definitely definitely a hot ticket item, and BD Diesel has the traction bar uh, to be desired, in my opinion. They're fast, they're in stock, and they bolt on. We weld ours on just because we've, we've ripped the brackets off doing stupid stuff before. So I just pass that along to my client and weld them in. But BD Diesel is the traction bar I go for. I was going to ask you about that as far as, as far as the install. Are they specific to a year range of, of truck? And then I was going to ask about the bolt-on, but you, you answered that one. But are they specific to different different trucks? I'm not quite sure. I know that we've modified several pairs of traction bars to fit other vehicles like second gen and fourth gen and whatnot. So I, I kind of have a loose fitment in my mind where if it's not right, well, we chop it up, modify it to make it fit whatever we're trying to do. We definitely customize a lot of stuff, but I would say it fits more than what the application says. And I would even venture to say anything with a four inch round axle tube and some sort of C channel or boxed frame, it'll work. 
the bracket is like a 90 degree bracket that goes on the outside of the frame. And then the bracket for the axle is a four inch diameter tube. So anything that you can bolt it to is probably going to work. I've, I can think back to so many stories of <clears throat> axle hop and crack transmission cases. And I think, you know, in years past, it wasn't hard to find a 48 RE case or 47 RE case, but those things can kind of, they get expensive if you're trying to search for one and end up cracking <laughs> a housing or something like that. They're not easy. Yeah. Yeah. As a guy that's broken plenty. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it gets real expensive. It's like at least a thousand bucks a smack, but now there's a new transmission housing in the works. There's been a bunch of pictures leaked for like a year or two now. A bunch of guys in the diesel game are working on a 48 aftermarket cast housing, bell housing, main section, overdrive housing. I think it's going to be SFI rated, and it's supposed wow. to be less than 2500 So there's a lot of pros coming out for the 48. It amazes me how the, the innovation does not stop with these trucks at all. I think back to that Fox body analogy you gave, and, I mean, those guys still have stuff. They're still doing lots of things with them, even though they've been made in a while. And these, these Dodge That's trucks. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah, these, these Dodge trucks, they're like a dead horse. We just keep beating on it, beating on it, beating on it. I don't know why, but we keep doing what we're doing. We're still paying $1,500 for head studs, but we keep doing it. <laughs> so I don't know if we're all idiots or we support bad decisions together. I don't know, <laughs> but either way, we all do it. <laughs> well, you had mentioned uh, something else that I think comes up a lot too, when we were chatting before was that was exhaust manifolds. And you think about these trucks, They've been out for 16, 17 years. Who knows what kind of environment they were in. And those stock manifolds just with heat cycles can warp or they start to get real rusted and nasty. And you think about they might not have an issue with the manifold when they come in or talk to you. Maybe they need a turbo. And you're doing a turbo and you're like, I'm right there. Let's let's upgrade this thing. What does an aftermarket manifold give you as a shop owner and servicing diesel truck owners where you're just like, oh. hey, let's, let's do this now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is a hand-in-hand -hand upgrade. If I put a turbocharger on, I'm probably putting on a, a two-piece BD manifold or a three-piece second-gen style manifold. We do a bunch of manifolds. If you're putting a motor in a client's truck and you pull the manifold off the cylinder head and the number one and number six bolts are having a hard time or turning crooked or pulling or pushing or whatever, that manifold's warped or shrunk or expanded. It's way wrong. And you're going to bolt that back on that new engine? Well, not, not in my shop. $538 will get you a brand new replacement two-piece cast iron manifold. Then it has an expansion joint between cylinder three and four where it's allowed to scooch and move. If you think about an exhaust manifold that sees 1,400 EGT on the regular and it's 33 inches long, it's going to move around. So if you cut that manifold in half and put a slip fit in between three and four, well, now your shrinkage is a lot smaller, and you gave it somewhere to go instead of pulling on the bolts, breaking off the bolts, blowing out the gaskets in one and six. I get a lot of phone calls about people with exhaust leaks and number six gaskets blown out, and they just want to slip a gasket in, just loosen the bolts, slip the gasket behind it, and keep going. But the real problem is the manfold is shrunk and pulling. So a two-piece manfold is almost a daily thing around here. And I include this in all of my quotes for turbocharger, engine rebuild, cylinder head gasket, whatever. If there's a solution for a problem on these engines, I provide that choice to the client. It's not always in the budget, but it's something that we as shop owners have to make these clients 
with these trucks aware of their choices and the problems that they can have later down the road and our responsibility to keep their vehicle the best that we can. So I provide all those options. I think about if I was a truck owner and say I went to a shop and they didn't tell me that and I put the new turbo on and then I'm dealing with these issues later, I think, man, we could have saved some labor money if we just would have done it up front. Why didn't you tell me? And then, now my mind's thinking, what else don't I know? What other parts, <clears throat> when people bring trucks in, are just like that where you say, hey, I'm already in here. Let's do this while we're here. It's going to save you money. You're not going to have to worry about it as it pertains to the engine. Oh, head stud. 100%. I put head studs in every engine we rebuild. An upgraded valve spring, just a base, like a 103-pound valve spring, a 716th push rod, an O-ring on the cylinder head. If you're already building the motor and your head is surface flat and your block is surface flat, why not put an O-ring in? We O-ring every cylinder head. And then we fire ring the big horsepower stuff. So that's like as low as I'm going to build a new Cummins oil pump, a new Cummins oil cooler. There's a lot of products out there, and not all the products on the market work. Some of them have higher failure rates than others. So if you build a motor for a client and you put in a cheap oil cooler and then it leaks and you have cooling your oil, oil and your coolant, whatever, both those scenarios are very bad. And that's going to be on me. So providing parts, quality is most important, and then customer service, and then the price point. If you change the order of quality of part, customer service or price point, you make a compromise. And uh, I don't really like making compromises like that. So if there's a solution, we're going to provide it. I think that that's where trusting the experience of the shop, it's why I I, I love chatting with shop owners all over the place because if I just walked into your shop today, I might not get you for 30 minutes to just chat with me about your race truck, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, but people can listen. They're local to you around. Oh, you're yeah. going to be traveling yeah, through. They sure. can stop in. Or if they're in another state, they can say, when they go into a shop, Hey, what are we doing with my manifold? I heard this on the podcast or the shop owner was telling me about head studs and valve yep. springs. Um, yep. and just how crucial that is to trust your experience versus the price, which you mentioned, which is another huge one. I know money's tight. I know the economy's tougher than it used to be. And we look for ways to save money, but it's like when I think of an oil cooler, that's not the place to do it. Or some of these other things, that's, that's not right. where that's not where I want to save the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there's opportunities to save and there's opportunities to overbuild and do right for the long haul. It's not always my decision, but I just I provide the food. You make the choice, right? I'm just showing you the menu. You get to pick what you're gonna eat for dinner. I'm just here to provide if you don't like the food I make, you can go on down the road. There's plenty of other restaurants. So there, there's a lot of ways to look at things in this game, but I always want to give the client the very best product that they can have and the very best customer service I can provide. And then at a price where I can, I can do my business, they feel that they got their money's worth. I make profit to keep the lights on and keep this whole operation going. You don't, you don't got to get rich, rich off one person. You just have to make an honest living and provide people what they need and what they want and what they deserve. I think that's really taken a, uh, a focal point. Um, I think especially automotive and diesel, which is what I focus on, which is in quality. And it's so, it's so crucial. Like there's so many stories. Sometimes I'll get a long email. Somebody will send in and they'll say, Hey, can you help me or direct me how to fix this? And it's this long truck story. And they took it to one shop or two shops or three. And it's this nightmare truck. And I think, man, I really feel bad, but it starts with 
where, you know, did you trust the person that you talked to? Did you trust the shop? Did you go through everything? Well, the price was a little bit higher. Well, now you're going to spend five, six, ten times more redoing everything versus what it was up front. And I know it's it's kind of hard to focus on because everything's driven off a of price, but it's it's crucial. You see it more than I do. You deal with it every day. <clears throat> you talk with people every day. But I hope that's something that people take to heart and think about if they're planning, you know, not a restoration, but breathing new life into a, an older truck or thinking about a race truck or even a brand new one that they're just looking to get a little bit more out of is where are you taking it? Do they know what they're, what they're doing? Do they have experience with it? And do I trust them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the hardest thing to do is go behind a client that's been taken advantage of or broken. Not only do you have a vehicle that's been to another shop and had who knows what done to it and that you never really get the full story. Then you have the client and the client's already upset. The client's already out money. So here you are, the next guy in line, and you just have to try to make the best with it and do the best that you can do and find the solution. So working behind someone is incredibly hard, but it's an opportunity to enlighten people on how things are supposed to be done. Most of the time, you repair that relationship, you show them uh, how it needs to be done, they'll respect you, and they'll come to you more and more and send you more and more work. You just, you you almost have to earn it. It's kind of like applying for a job sometimes. Yeah. It's just, uh, sometimes it's our choice whether we apply (laughs) or not. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. I wanted to, I didn't want to forget about the race stuff because it's something that I love and a lot of our listeners do. Um, they follow you, they, they see what you do out there. When we look to 2024, are there any big plans or, I know you can't reveal everything. I know that, you know, preparations over the winter are like top secret stuff, but are there some, some kind of cool things or maybe some different stuff you're work, looking at for next year? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to change my course a little bit. I'm, I've always said it, but I'm ready to retire the green truck. It's to a position where it costs an astronomical amount of money to run every year. And I'm kind of tired of leaving the state so often and so far. We're going to Delaware tomorrow morning, and it's 23 hours, 1,500 miles one way. Not really looking forward to it, but okay, I live in Texas. That's my own fault. So we're going to do UCC 24 in the green truck, but I'm going to do a lot more drag and drive events. I'm going to do a lot more local events, and we're going to do a lot more projects with BD Diesel. We have this 06 red truck that I bought that we just got our feet with. We built that truck in 10 days and then went to race week. We had tremendous results and support, and and I love how it went. I had a blast. We didn't have to work on it that much. But the drag and drive aspect is completely different. It's it's a whole different vibe than the multi-day diesel segments or just diesel racing in period. So I'm going to be doing a lot more of that, and I have like three or four trucks now. So I'm going to do a lot more racing locally. If I could go out every four or six weeks, I would rather do that than go out every four or six months. So I'm going to try to to keep it local a little bit. Texas is a really big-ass state. It takes like eight hours to get out from where I'm at, and I'm right in the middle. So I'm going to keep it kind of local, you know, a couple states away. Uh, You're going to be seeing a lot more of that. And I've really thought about building a dedicated sled pulling truck. The 3.0, uh, 3.0 Smoothboard is a big, big class here in Texas. And Dan Valance has been running that show for years and years and years, and he just sold his truck. So there's an opportunity, and the standings are kind of shaking up a little bit the last half of this year. So we might build a sled pull truck, and then I was talking to the guys about 
taking a three-quarter ton truck, like imagine this, you got to hear me out. Take a take this red truck or take any third-gen truck and straight axles under, and say you wanted to go do Pikes Peak in a stock-appearing truck. That sounds kind of cool. Like yeah. a thousand horsepower, really small compounds, nitrous on demand, overkill brake system, overkill cooling system. But straight axles front and rear on a truck that might have been lowered two inches, like a three-quarter ton, 7,800-pound truck and four-wheel drive climbing up Pikes Peak with a thousand horsepower. Sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you live in Colorado. I'll just come yeah. pick you up and we'll go do it. How about that? Yeah, yeah just let me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I'll be up next week. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. There's a lot of cool plans. I like that. Um, I, I like that approach that you're taking. There's like Texas is, I've said this so many times, but I love seeing like where listeners are. And Texas is the biggest state for us with plays and downloads and, you know, different cities and different things. So I've never, I've been there, but I haven't really been there like in the automotive sense and gone to all the things. I just know there's a ton of trucks there ton of listeners there's a ton of cool things that come out of there so i think like just being there and showcasing what you guys do will be huge you know it's funny there is a lot of trucks about 10 years ago my wife and i were eating dinner at like a little pizza place like two slices of pizza and a drink in that amount of time it took us to finish dinner i counted 52 dodge diesels that drove by this was like 10 years ago and that was when i decided i was like you know what I'm only going to work on Dodge Diesel. Screw Duramax, screw Power Stroke. That's it. Dodge Diesel. That's it. And that's that's what I did. And and there's plenty of them here. There's like two or three shops in this town that are only Dodge Diesel. There's probably 15 diesel shops in my town of probably 30,000 people. So there's a bunch of diesels here. And we stay absolutely covered up fixing all these stupid trucks every day. Every day. I definitely want... I definitely want people who are listening to be able to connect with you. How can they find you on Instagram, Facebook? If you know, where's the shop located, how can they connect with the shop? If they have questions, maybe they have that 06 with 280,000 miles and they need to breathe some new life into it. How do they connect That's with right. you? Well, the shop is unrivaled diesel and we are in Weatherford, Texas. And the Instagram is Unrivaled Diesel, Facebook Unrivaled Diesel. My personal Instagram is Chris underscore Pat zero five. And then Facebook, Chris Patterson. Give us a shout. Shoot us an email, sales at unrivaleddiesel.com. We have a website. So there's multiple ways to get in contact. So just hit us up and let us know what you need and we'll get you taken care of. Chris, it was a pleasure to chat with you again. I enjoyed our conversation last year. This one was really cool. I appreciate the knowledge, the insights, the tips that you gave us. And I look forward to seeing what you do next year with uh, with the trucks that you have planned and, and where you're going to be. So I appreciate your time today chatting with me. Awesome, dude. Anytime. Well, I look forward to catching up with you in person on the next time I'm around. We'll do it. Thanks, man. See ya. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code DIESEL2023 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you need a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC, something around the job site, they've definitely got you covered with a ton of different choices. They've had a whole bunch of releases in 2023 of some really cool products. So definitely head on over and check them out if you're in the market for a knife upgrade.
Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen of 23 Diesel, John J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate all your support here in your seven of the diesel podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up. <laughs>